Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to read the best known part of the Christmas story this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time gave for her, came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the, the message that they, were, that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, today we've read the, the best-known part of the Christmas story. Um, and this is the part of the Christmas story that gets a line that shows up in several Christmas songs. Uh, Gloria in excelsis Deo. You ever heard that? You've sung that before? It's, it's in Christmas songs like Angels We Have Heard on High. And that line in Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo, comes from this passage. So, next time you hear that song on the radio or you sing it in church, you can impress everyone around you by saying you know what the Latin means. The Latin means glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. That's what Gloria in excelsis Deo means. And the point of this Christmas song that we hear from the angels is the point of Christmas itself. So in the words of this song, we see why Christmas happened, what the gospel is all about, and the blessings of the birth of Jesus. And even though the, the words of this passage may be uh, familiar to you and the words of this song may be on your, on your lips every holiday season, we need to go back and consider the meaning of uh, these words again and again. We need to be reminded why this song, why that phrase is such good news. Now on the radio right now, many singers will tell you it's the most wonderful time of the year. Right, from uh, Andy Williams to Michael W. Smith to Amy Grant to Point of Grace, everyone's singing about the happiness of the season. But for many people, Christmas is not a happy time. I mean, this is a season that brings a lot of pain and a lot of sadness for, for people. And while the commercials on television and 
The Hallmark movies often end with, you know, the family gathered together around the table at Christmas time or by the warmth of the fireplace. For many people, this is a season where it's easy to feel alone. It may be because of strained relationships with family. And, you know, when you add the, the stress of, of, uh, uh, to the, of the season to the reunion of family with all the expectations and the disappointments that go along with that. Um, well, let's just say that a song like There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays could have a double meaning. There are a lot of people that are like, yeah, Trevin, if you knew my family, you'd sing that song differently. There's really like no place like my home for the holidays. You know, for others, this is a season that marks the loss of people you love. You know, people who are no longer in your life. Um, uh, a father, a mother, a husband. I have a pastor friend in Spring Hill who just buried his son just a couple of weeks ago. A uh, young child. It's also the end of the year, you know, and we, we do have more time to think around the end of the year. And so a lot of times people are thinking about, well, what have I accomplished this year? And what's the things looking like for the year to come and what career prospects are going on? And so all that to say, it may be that you're barely hanging on this Christmas. And when you see people on TV or in church or in the community who appear to have it all together, you just, you sigh deep in your soul and think, I just need to power through this. Well, let me tell you, the angel song is good news for you this morning. Christmas comes to the weary, the lonely, the brokenhearted. The news of Jesus' birth comes to people that you wouldn't expect to be first on that list to receive the news. I mean, the, the angels come together as a choir, not for the best dressed and not for the wealthiest in town, but for the people whose lives were day to day. People who could barely sustain themselves. People on the, on the low end of the social ladder. You know, shepherds were some of the poorest of the poor in Jesus' society. Now, it wasn't a shameful job to have. Being a shepherd, it was a noble profession. And there's a long history of shepherds in the Bible. You know, from Moses to David to God describing himself as a shepherd. But most shepherds were poor. Most didn't own the land that they were working on. Most of them hired themselves out. They worked for low wages. These were men without any power. These were men without any privilege. And yet on Christmas night, when the Savior is born, the angels don't trumpet the news in the palace of Caesar, the king of the world. They don't announce the news to Herod, the king of the Jews. They don't, they don't even go to the Jewish temple, to the high priest. And that, you'd expect that that might be the place where the news was most welcome, right? The temple, after all, this is the place that had announced for generations that God is with us, right? That's what the temple stood for. But no, the message passes over the palace, the throne, and the temple. And instead, the angels take their concert to the farm. The angel's song fulfills in part what Mary sang about when she magnified the Lord because he lifts up the lowly and he casts down those who exalt themselves in high and mighty places. In other words, God is turning everything upside down. He is reversing fortunes. He's bringing about this new world in which whatever he values will be prioritized. And, and this announcement of glory to God and peace on earth, it's given to people on the lower steps of the economic ladder. So in the time we have this morning... We're not going to look in detail at the angel's announcement. Instead, I just want us to drill down into the song that the heavenly armies sing. Okay, what's their chorus? Why do they sing these words? Gloria and excelsis Deo. Why do they sing of peace on earth? And the, the reason is this. After the announcement of Jesus' birth 
comes the song of praise for what this birth will accomplish, what the result will be. And here we find the ultimate purpose of Christmas, the whole reason why we sing these songs at this time of year. So two main reasons for Christmas show up in this song. So are you ready? Let's get started with the first line. Let's just look at it. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. The glory of God is the first purpose of Christmas. This is what gets the angels singing. Now, before we go any further, think about what the angels have witnessed in the past. Okay, because it's important to ask the question, why do they say glory to God in the highest? Uh, you know what it's like when you've been in a church service and, and, and the choir is doing an anthem or you've been in a concert and everyone's singing at the top of their lungs, you know, a great worship song. And you know what it's like at that moment when the worship band, the orchestra, where they go up a key, you know, and, and, and they increase the volume and they move the key up as if to channel all of that energy and praise into lifting our voices even higher. The angels don't just sing glory to God. They sing glory to God in the highest heaven. They praise God all of the time, but it's like their praise goes up a notch here. Now think about what they've witnessed. The scriptures indicate that the angels were present when God created the earth and that they sang for joy over the creation of the world, right? They witnessed the spectacular sights of everything coming into existence. For generations, the angels have, have marveled at, at the stars and planets and at the, the rhythm of the tides and the, the beauty of the mountains. And they praised God for all of the different uh, kinds of animal species that exist. I mean, for, for the deer and the antelope, for the, the frog and the, the cricket, for the majesty of the eagle and the uniqueness of the ostrich, you know, uh, for the, the sheer creativity in the world that God has created. So they have sung the great song of blessing and honor and glory and majesty and power and dominion to the God who sits on the throne. And as time has gone by, they've seen reason after reason to keep praising God. They witnessed God's wonders when he struck Egypt with plagues and he rescued his people from slavery. The angels watched the parting of the Red Sea. They saw when God's people were cared for and, and when God's enemies were thrown down. They watched how little David brought down the mighty giant. How many times and how many years have the angels found reasons to praise God for His goodness and power? But now, but now in that still, quiet night in Bethlehem, the countless myriads of angels and the heavenly hosts join together in a choir like none other and say, this is the highest. This is the highest. Glory to God in the highest. This is beyond like anything we've ever witnessed. God becoming man, the, the son of God enclosing himself in the womb of a virgin and being born. The mighty son of God who was there at creation now as a helpless and vulnerable baby strokes the face of a woman he created. The Savior is born, and the angels sing out, unable to hold back. Have you ever been there in that moment when you, you couldn't help but sing for joy? When, when the truth of the gospel so captured your heart that you, you cranked up the music in the car and you weren't worried about what you looked like to the people around you? you know, or where you sang at the top of your lungs and you didn't care if you were off key? Uh, or where you couldn't hold back the passion in your heart and the gratitude you felt? We, we sing, hark, the herald angels are singing, and they're singing this morning, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. The, their song tells us what the point of Christmas is. It's all about God's glory. It's about Him receiving the honor that's due Him. He's glorified when we consider His work in creation. 
He's even more glorified when we consider his work of redemption. And the redemption he accomplishes starts with this. It's the most incredible miracle of all. The incarnation. The coming of God into our world as a little baby. We are to sing praises to the Son of God who became human so that humans could become sons and daughters of God. So how can we join the angels in glorifying God this morning? I mean, you might say, oh, God is already, you know, God is so glorious. Why, why should I sing? You know, what, voice, what difference does it make if, I, if, if my voice is added there? It's, and it's true. God already possesses glory. We don't add to it. We can't subtract from it. But there is a sense in which whenever we worship God for his glory, we increase it. We don't add, it's not like we add more light to the sun, but we can magnify it. We can reflect it. And so we say, glory to God in the highest, knowing that our voices magnify the awesomeness of God. I know there are many of you this morning who resonate with what I said earlier about Christmas being a, a, a difficult time of year. I understand that. I sympathize with that. This Christmas for some of you may be harder than Christmases in the past for whatever reason. But that is not a reason to merely power through the sentimental aspects of the season. It's a reason to drill down further into why we celebrate this holiday in the first place. And what makes Christmas hard for some is, I think sometimes it's the sentimental side of the season. What you're supposed to feel. But there's nothing sentimental about a bunch of smelly shepherds getting front row seats at the most frightening, awe-inspiring concert of the ages. Right? You, you drill down to the real reason for the season, and there is something rock solid there that you can stake your life on, that you can set your hope in. God is the magnificent and majestic creator and redeemer. He is at the center. So don't let the season be all about family dinners and Christmas gifts and time off from work so you can binge watch holiday marathons. You know, uh, I mean, take time to enjoy the rest and enjoy the people around you. But, but more than that, reflect on the ways that God's glory is manifested in Christmas. Read and study and ponder and meditate this God on this God who became a baby for us and for our salvation. And ask God to give you reasons to praise Him that go beyond anything you've ever experienced before. It's one thing to know the Bible's doctrine in our heads. It's another to feel the weighty truths of these teachings in our hearts. The angels sing in two lines the most profound Christmas song of all time. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And those two lines are connected. For you see, until we see God as glorious, we won't be able to experience the peace that he offers. And so that brings us to the next reason the angel saying the second result of God's work at Christmas, the purpose behind Christ's coming. Here it is, peace on earth to those whom God favors. Peace on earth to those whom God favors. So glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God favors. Glory to God goes first. Glory in the highest heaven. The and then the result, what's the result of all of creation giving proper glory and honor to God? Peace on earth. Peace on earth for all those who know God's grace and have experienced His favor. Now, make sure you notice the order of the song lyrics. It's the glory of God first. He must rule. He must reign. His glory comes first. There is no peace on earth for us apart from glory directed to God in heaven. The only way we can know peace on earth is by giving glory to God. Now, I know a lot of people, when they hear the word peace, they think stillness. You know, they think the absence of war and conflict. They think of it as a, as a good thing. Peace is a good thing, but it's, it's defined as the absence of something. The peaceful home is the one without any conflict. The peaceful world is the one without war. 
But that, that definition doesn't actually go far enough. You can have a home without conflict where there's tension and it's still present. No, mom and dad don't fight, but it's because they're not speaking to one another. It's more like a ceasefire than it is a true peace. You know, you can have the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States. It goes on for decades, and thank God there was no nuclear showdown. But you really can't call that relationship peace in the biblical sense, right? No, peace on earth, according to the Bible, is something positive. It's something that's defined by its presence, not just its absence. The Hebrew word is a greeting still used today. Shalom. Shalom. And the image is of justice all across the world. The image is of a place where everything is as it should be. Where the blessings of God are experienced. Where tranquility and happiness are normal. It's, it reminds me of like the Shire in J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. It, it's not just the absence of war. It's the presence of the good life. It's the, where there's peace between people and God and between all kinds of people. That's the vision of peace or shalom that the angels are singing about. And what they're saying is this. When God is glorified in the highest for his salvation, the result is peace on earth for all those who have experienced his grace. Now, there's a challenge here. Notice the song says that peace is given to all those whom God favors. So it's not automatic. The people who know this kind of shalom, this kind of peace, are those who respond to God's grace and believe in the angel's announcement. So the saving grace of God is a prerequisite to experiencing this kind of peace in your heart. And then once that peace takes root in your heart, it begins to transform your relationships and the spheres of influence that you have in your life. Tim Keller describes it like this. He says, Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with everybody else. And the more people who embrace the gospel and do that, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace, both with God and between people across the face of the world. Now, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But let's be honest, 2019 has been a hard year when it comes to peace on earth, has it not? There have been wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, natural disasters of all kinds. This year we've seen shooting after shooting, terrorist attacks in other parts of the world, corruption in Washington of both parties, racial tensions have increased. There's been a steady drip of news regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment and sexual predation coming out of Hollywood, out of Washington, D.C., and Lord have mercy, the Church of Jesus Christ. You look at the state of our world, you read the newspaper, you scroll through the timeline on your app, and you probably think, boy, peace on earth sounds so far away. And you may not even have to look at the news to see trauma in crisis. You may be living it yourself. Health crises, the loss of a loved one, the slow and steady breaking down of a relationship. Karina and I have a friend who's in our Sunday school class, known for the past 10 years or so, early 40s, who got a diagnosis of ALS this week. So life can leave you disoriented and confused. And shalom sounds wonderful, almost like a dream that's too good to be true, just something so far from the nightmare that you're living through. And far be it from me to minimize any of the tragedies and evils and sufferings I've just mentioned. They're all real. They're all painful. And we cannot just sweep them under the rug or try to drown out suffering by turning up Nat King Cole on the radio. It's not going to work. You cannot smother the evil of the world with holiday sentimentality. 
And neither can we deal with evil by saying, well, I know, here's why God's allowing this or that to happen. As if God's ways are always obvious or clear, as if we can read his mind. Listen, God can read your mind. You can't read his. And if you have a ready-made, easy-to-understand explanation for why God doesn't stop a horrifying tragedy like what happened a couple of years ago at First Baptist Sutherland Springs, where half the congregation was shot and killed during worship on a Sunday morning, if you got an easy explanation for that, I would just say, please keep it to yourself. Far be it from us to offer pious platitudes or empty religious phrases or out-of-context Bible verses to explain away suffering. Generally, you talk to people who are in suffering, that only makes it worse. We don't have an answer that satisfies all the questions we could ask. But we do have songs. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. There's darkness in the words of that Christmas song. Feel the tragedy of your own sin. Feel the tragedy, the depth of the world's suffering. Hate is strong. It mocks the angel song. Satan and his minions can laugh at the angels giving the concert of the ages. But not for long. And not forever. Because even if we don't know all the reasons why God allows evil to continue for a season, we believe the end is sure. The gospel story is no fairy tale, but glory to God, it has a happy ending. Then peal the bells for loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The reason we have hope about the grand finale and the end of history is because the little baby born in Bethlehem, flanked by animals and laid in a splintery manger, grew up to become the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knew suffering, not from a distance, but up close and personal. And he didn't give us an answer to satisfy all our questions. He gave us himself to satisfy all our hurts, to take away our sins, to wipe away our tears, to strip away our sorrows. You see, the angels saying, glory to God in the highest, because they couldn't wrap their minds around the beauty of the incarnation. But even they couldn't have imagined what would happen next. How that little boy in Bethlehem would grow up in Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, familiar with wood, and in just three decades' time, would crawl up a hill outside Jerusalem to be hung on a tree. The Son of God wasn't born just to live. He was born to die. And the God of life willingly died a rebel's death. Why? For glory to God in the highest heaven and for peace on earth to everyone who receives the grace of God to save sinners like you and me. Christmas leads to the cross. And the redemption accomplished for us at the cross is so great that the Apostle Peter says even the angels long to look at our salvation because it is something too marvelous to comprehend. If you're a Christian this morning, you know more of the glory of God and the peace He brings than even the angels do. Your sins and sorrows and sufferings are covered by the blood of Jesus. Sentimentality won't solve your sin problem. Only salvation will do that. And only Jesus, the Savior who knows what it's like to be scarred, can heal your hurts and wounds. So, 
next time you hear Gloria and Excelsis Deo, remember what led the angels to sing and then join your weary voice to their refrain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to come to this earth. We thank you for the humility of his birth, the humility of the where the angels made their announcement, for all that it shows about the kind of God you are, for all that it shows us about your heart, your character, for what it shows about how you love to turn things upside down, that you are making all things new. We pray, Father, that you would be with us during this Christmas season and that you would take the words of the angel's song and imprint them deep into our hearts so that we would be able to bring you glory and experience your peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.